You should be the host here. I really love it, aren't you? We're both monster people, diehard monster people, and we want them to do well. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Nobody knows monster rugby better. I'd like to think I know a lot. Hi, Alan Quinlan here. Uh, welcome to everybody. As always, uh, Neve Briggs is here with me on the, on the rugby pod, the Red 78. How are you, Neve? Good, Quinny. Good. Uh, good weekend. Spurs won and... Uh, Club, club club game one for the weekend, so brilliant weekend. Oh good, yeah. Well the Irish game, we might have a quick chat about at that in the end, but it was uh, it was a bit crazy on Sunday what happened between Ireland and Italy. But we've no Munster game. We had no Munster game last weekend. We have one that we'll we'll have a quick chat about. Um they're playing the Dragons at the weekend, but they're a weekend off. So we brought in a bit of heavy artillery this week. Um Former Monster and Ireland International, uh, Billy Holland. You're very welcome, Billy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Quinny. Uh, hi, Neve. How are you? Hi, Billy. How are you keeping? Good, good. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I, it's, it's, mm, it's, it's, it's a strange one, Billy, because um, normally it's myself and Neve, but we have a down week. Sometimes we bring in some guests, but um, I, I, I would have played with you. You made your debut in 2007 for Monster. Um, there would have been a lot of the old guard uh, involved with Monster when you were coming through the academy, and um, I ended up we ended up playing together. Amazingly, makes me very old, but at least you're you're out of the game now. There's still, still some guys who are playing that that I played with in the latter parts of my career. But um, what what's it been like? You you retired last year um, after 14 years, uh, 247 caps for Monster. It's incredible. Um, I think it's Donico Callan is is the only one who's ahead of you. We had Dave Kilcoyne last week who joined the, the 200 club. Um, what's life been like since you retired? We, we'll go back a little bit and look at your career in a few minutes, but uh, what have you been up to and what's it been like out of the game? Yeah, thanks, Quinny. Um, it's, it's one of the few certainties in professional rugby is that it does come to an end and you can do all the preparation in the world and, you know, think about it and plan for it but when it actually comes to it, it it's a big shock to the system I would have had between the academy and the senior setup, 17 years um, being involved with Munster Rugby and as I said so recently you used to get an itinerary on the your schedule on a Thursday or Friday for what you were going to do the following week where you needed to be at what time and wearing what so you 17 years of that then all of a sudden you wake up and on a Monday morning in July and your time is your own. So it's, it's a big change. And, um, you know, I, I've embraced and I've really enjoyed it. I've tried to focus on the positives. I have a young family of a, a five-month-old and a two-year-old at home. So they, they keep me busy. Um, so, you know, I, I've enjoyed being able to plan things and, you know, years of not being able to go to weddings or, you know, uh, constantly pulling out with this, that and the other or telling someone... I, 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 Maybe if I'm selected or not selected, you can do something. So it's been a big change. Um, I really miss the the buzz of matches, um, particularly with the crowds back. You know, you're very jealous of seeing the lads running out in front of a, of, of a packed Thorn Park or or the Aviva. In my last um, 18 months, it was in front of uh, of nobody. Um, so it was wasn't the wasn't the best way in the world of going out. But yeah, that that must have been um, difficult because um, people often ask me, even though I'm out of the game over 10 years now, it's it's incredible the way time flies. Mm-hmm. That adrenaline rush, 
I think the only, uh, you know, it's hard It's hard to replicate it in any sort of way. I don't miss the training. I don't miss the meetings. I probably don't miss the, the fitness days. And everyone said that. I remember John Hayes was saying that to me when we kind of went around the same time. And that's one thing he said. I don't miss the meetings about meetings about meetings, which are necessary. But you do, every player, ex-player says it's the crowd. It's that adrenaline rush. It's been looking around the dressing room. That's special, isn't it? Like look, running out into Thorne Park on a on a Saturday evening in in the dead of winter in a European game is it's an incredible feeling. Like the hairs in the back of your neck does stand up, and it's why it's why Munster are so great on those occasions because you just you feel ten feet tall. Um, you're playing against some of the best guys in the world, and 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 you just feel you feel invincible, and that adrenaline rush. It's, look, it's impossible to replicate in everyday life. Um, but you know that and you try and, yeah, you miss it, but you just try and appreciate the fact that you had it. And, you know, I'm sitting here in a, in a suit, <laughs> <laughs> try, try, trying to sell mortgages to anyone who listened to me. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big change. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I just feel really, really lucky to have done what I did for how, for how long I did. You know, I consider myself just a, a normal lad from, from Cork who, who was good at rugby when I was a young fella and just stuck at it and I got a few good breaks and you need a bit of luck. And, you know, I was, I'm, I'm quite stubborn and determined and you just stick at it. But, yeah, I miss it. You know, you said about being, I don't miss being sore. Towards the end, you play on a Saturday. You can hardly walk on a Sunday. You'd be worse on a Monday. Then you go out and you're training on Monday and Tuesday. You feel buckled again by Wednesday. Thursday, you're training again. I used to just about feel kind of getting there in terms of my body by a Saturday morning, just to replicate it all over again. So uh, that was my that was kind of that was kind of my question. Sorry for for jumping over there, but just in relation to not many people get to you know finish on their own terms, um, and you really got to do that in terms of your body still intact, and you got to make the decision to to retire. And I think. Uh, my my question, my curiosity probably breeds out of the fact that you know, how did you come to a decision like that when you're actually physically able to play eighty minutes week in week out like you were doing, um, and and playing really really well, which is which is another brilliant achievement, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose I I was very determined to finish up on my terms because I love Munster. I have seen it so many occasions where guys maybe stay a year too long. And they're not playing for Munster and they're maybe playing A games or they're playing five or six games in a season. And I I did all that when I was in my 20s. I played the A games. I played when the internationals were away. I, from where I had gone to my career, had no interest in being involved with Munster if I wasn't in with a chance of being on the 23-man squad yeah. for a European game. So it was, a, it was kind of, my body was there. And the year... The year before I finished up, I spent I spent months kind of thinking, you know, am I gonna am I good enough to stay in it for another year? Am I gonna make a decision to sign on for one more year and get into that twenty three man squad? And I signed on and I re signed and sure the following week RG Snyman signed, and you know, um, and then, and then you then you injured him. Uh, against Leinster, you <laughs> dropped him. <laughs> I'm only joking. Exactly. If Argy, if Argy you could have brought him down a bit more gently, Billy, you know, and, and caressed him onto the ground, you know, from that lift against Leinster. If Argy had been uh, fit for the last two years, there'd be a, there'd be, a, I'm pretty sure there'd be a trophy in Munster. So hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. But 
I um, you know, I was very determined to stay if I was going to stay on to be in with a shout of playing on the 23-man squad. And the first European game after I signed that last contract was I, I wasn't selected. And it was the first game. It was Harlequins and Thorn Park. It was my first time not being in the 23-man squad for Munster in the past. I think it was 37 or 38 European games of the previous six or seven years. And I found that really difficult to take. But then the following week, I was involved against Clermont away. And it was like one of the most miraculous comebacks of all time. So I managed to, to get back in there. And the reason I retired, I just look, my body was beginning to slow down. I was taking me a long time to recover. It was it was getting more difficult to it's play. Called, it's really called deep. age, Billy. It's called age. It comes oh, to it gets, it, it, yeah. catch, catches up with us all. <laughs> if you look back, and this this is what intrigues me because uh, this is what I want to, uh, and I think the listener would be really interested. You saw from 07 to, well, I finished in 11 and, and John Hayes did, and then maybe 12, 13, Wally, Paul O'Connell, Ron O'Gara, Marcus Horn, Jerry Flannery, the list is endless. John Kelly, Anthony Horgan, all these guys that you would know really well. Mick O'Driscoll, a raft of players who won two European Cups. You you were there in that that time. You saw what the standards were like. You saw what the expectation was. It was kind of expected that we would be challenging and potential winners for domestically and in Europe. Um, what, what what was different, or is was there anything different? Because look. It's 10 years, it's over 10 years since Monster won a trophy. And I sometimes say, I feel, and I feel that the pressure and expectation is a little bit unfair from, from that period onwards when so many of those experienced internationals left. Um, would you agree that the expectation and, and the pressure was a little bit un, unfair on the groups you played with after, after that period? I wouldn't say that the pressure and the expectation was unfair. I think some of the expectation was maybe unrealistic. Um, and, you know, when you wear the Munster jersey, you support Munster, you expect silverware. That is as a result of 2006 and 08 and what that team did. What people forget is how that team lost multiple semifinals and finals over the years from 98, 99, you know, that's six years of, of lose, seven years of losing, you know, big knockout stages. And that group grew together and evolved and got better. And the coaching group stayed intact. And then you win the final. You, you, oh, six, you win. And the confidence that it just snowballed. And no, I, I don't think the supporters are wrong to have that expectation or that, you know, that Munster will win a trophy. But there was a huge transition transitional period I used to hate that word but you're also dealing with coaches changing every two or three years it was impossible looking back on it as a player we didn't stand a chance and until you get consistency in a coaching group there's no chance that Munster is going to win trophies Um, you can bring in all the players in the world and you can have all the young talent in the world but if you're chopping and changing I had six head coaches in 14 years next year Keith Earls will have beyond his seventh head coach in 16 years that's that's phenomenal so I I there needs to be an expectation that Munster will deliver silverware and Munster will deliver silverware like I'm telling you this group will deliver silverware but you know when you lose the likes and the names of the guys that you just mentioned including yourself Quinny um 
you don't, oh, don't just, stick to you it. Don't, <laughs> you can't just fill that void from a leadership point of view, from an experience point of view, from a confidence point of view. But like all those guys, they had lost multiple, multiple um, finals and semifinals over the years, like this current group has done. And then it clicked, it clicked in 06 and it snowballed for there. And then you go on and that group ended up winning Grand Slams and Six Nations and Triple Crowns. And it was the core of that group um, that did that. That so it'll happen, and I think the expect the the expectation of silver needs to be there. But um, you know, there needs to be a bit of patience too. Do you know if you take that period of fourteen years, and obviously going in academy with the likes of Quinny and them, two thousand seven to, to when you finish, how much did Munster, I suppose the behind the scenes, the culture within the group, the the on-pitch, obviously rugby is evolving, but in terms of that brand and, you know, how much did that evolve over the, the 14 years that you were there? Isn't the, the, the culture in the club? Yeah, so say like, you know the way when you would have started, you would have been training upstairs in the very top of you well there. And now all of a sudden now you're in this huge, amazing facility, um, blessed facilities. But also you talked about, you know, the, the coaches changing all the time. So the philosophies will change all the time. So obviously things are evolving. And do are we, are we, are we keeping up with that evolution of the game or are we falling behind because of it? I, I don't know, it's a bit of a, a long-winded um, question. No, I think it's funny because I just... So from a generational point of view, the, the the academy player from 2007 is very different from the academy player of 2022. Just from a characteristic point of view, maybe what motivates them is different. You know, when I went into the academy, I was kind of in awe of these lads. Um, you know, you're just you're 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 training and playing with your heroes, and you know, um, I think things do change over time, and I think it, Monster has moved with it. I think you know, moving into the one centre in 2015 was a huge step forward for Munster Rugby. You're trying out of two bases for so long and that should have happened sooner, but it didn't. And there has been benefits from that. I think, you know, culturally, we were probably lost for a few years. Um, I would admit that. At the time, we didn't think so, but we were definitely lost for a few years. We did didn't have our sense of identity. You're trying to separate yourself from that group. But I think, Billy, it's very understandable to, and maybe this is a mistake and it's not laying the blame on anyone, but when, when, like, at one stage, and I think I said this to you before, seven of the Munster forwards were playing for Ireland and Simon Easterby was playing with them. I was the odd one out for a lot of that and Simon was a brilliant player. We had Rod Stringer, you know, load of more Munster guys. It was 17 or 18 guys week after week up with Ireland. You know, that that's where it was at. And then it is very, very difficult when you have so many players, internationals, not just top-class Munster players, but internationals who leave it kind of in, in a period of two or three years. So I think it was very understandable that there was going to be a transitional period. I'm, you know, it is a word that maybe frustrates people, but I think if there was any kind of sort of a mistake made, it was that maybe the eye, our eye, eye, Munster's eye was taken off the ball a little bit and maybe there was an expectation that that level of player would come true. And that level of depth, it's not a it's not a criticism of the players you played with, but I think, and you probably admit this, it's the depth. You played, 
on Friday nights and on Sundays with me over in Edinburgh and Scarlets when the international weekends were on. And we had a, a second string team that was incredibly strong. You know, you had Federico Pucciarello, Frankie Sheehan, um, Donica Ryan, Mick O'Driscoll, myself, James Call, and you, Niall Rohn, and all these guys were, were, it was incredibly strong. And I think the depth chart in Munster was was probably an issue for a couple of years there. And I see a lot of positives now, as you say, with, with some of the young players are coming in, you know, having two or three players in every position is really important. So going back to that expectation and pressure, it was bound to be a, a tough period. And there has been some criticism, justified, some unjustified over the years. But I think it was always going to be a very tricky period, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, to in the modern era, to compete at a European level, um, you need to have 30 class players. You need to have, you need to have 30 guys. You, you know, if you've got a good 10, you need another good 10. Same with your nines. We didn't always have that. So you, you suffer an injury somewhere and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're really backs against the wall going into a European game. When you look at Leinster, the strength and depth they have now and have had over the last couple of years, we're getting there in Munster without a doubt. You see the ch- team changing week in, week out. And when Johan van Graan came in first, I, I said this to him. I said, you need to change the team regularly because it's, it's you got to, you, you know, it's short-term losses, really, for medium to long-term gain. And he has done that. And you see the guys he's brought through in the last few years. And you're always going to get people saying that it's not enough. It's not enough. There's guys, you know, Thomas O'Hearn should be playing more, that um, this guy's doing that up in Leinster or whatnot. But it's getting that balance is, is really difficult. But the strength and depth in Munster has been improving improving enormously in the last two to three seasons, I would say. Like, you know, the likes of Gavin Coombs and these guys, they've really, really gone from being, you know, getting the odd game to being starters in European days and really playing out of their skin. So, you know, back to Neil's point, I think there was a period there for a couple of years where culturally we were maybe at sixes and sevens, you're kind of stuck between, you're stuck in that transitional period and maybe we didn't deal with it very well Um Again, in hindsight, it's very, very easy to see. Um, you know, you're a young group of lads. When when Dunnock Ryan left Munster, um, I was the oldest player in the squad, and I just turned 31. So, oh. like, oh. and and I and I hadn't played for Ireland at that stage. So, you know, Earlsey was the next oldest at 29 or 30. So. You know that you know, and when Dunners was there, he was kind of on his own as the oldest for for two years. So it was a really, really young squad. So you would have to lose all these lads, and you'd lost a huge amount of experience. And on top of that, keep changing the coaches. It was it was a difficult period. But like in saying that, we kept losing European semi-finals. We were losing to Racing. We were losing to Saracens. Losing to these teams that were the champions of Europe. We were this close. And we were this close based on just belligerent determination and desire to win. We didn't have that sprinkling of stardust that your team you, had you back sometimes then. need. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, you need. You need. You're not going to just win. The, I don't think you're going to win Europe with just a load of local fellas, in my opinion. You need that sprinkling of stardust, which Munster has gone and done the last few years um, in an effort to help. 
I know I know Neve probably wants to ask you about this because she's at the Cole place in the AL coaching um and UL Bowes with the women's team there coaching in Munster, coaching with Ireland now. How important is the AIL? Um because I know you're a big advocate, obviously Neve coaching in the AIL. How important is that to that maybe cultural importance and maybe DNA of Munster um to how important is that to you to Munster? Crucial. I would say it's it's so important. When Has it I, improved? Has it changed? Is, is it something? I, we hear a lot about it now. You go back to the Wasps game there in, in December. They raft the players that played AAL the week before. And we've chatted, and even myself have chatted about that. Um, there's a sense that maybe we need to go back to our roots a little bit here and get guys out in the AAL playing week after week. And that's an important part of, of backing up Munster and giving these guys exposure and and, and probably working with the clubs and using the clubs to identify talents as well. Yeah, as 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 far back as, like, I played with UCC and then I moved to Cannes because um, I was told by Jim Williams was the coach at the time that I needed to play first division rugby. That's where you needed to be at. And I joined Cannes and we played uh, two memories, the two games I played against Gary Owen. One was a final um, scorching hot day. You're playing against... Earlsey, Damien Varley, all these. It was there was probably about ten monster players on that pitch or thirty that day. It was a fantastic game of rugby. A year or two later, I'm playing for Gan, and um, you're, we were we were eight points down in half time. Ian Nagel got sent off for trying to puck the head off Conor Murray because Mike Sherry was winding him up. All monster players, and we end up winning that day with 14 men and like Peter Romani was fresh out of school you Duncan Williams you Stephen Archer you Scott DC all these lads are playing that game and it like you can train all you want you can you know there's been great efforts at times for these A games but until you are in a knockout game of rugby and your back is to the wall of which the club rugby provides this situation you, you learn so much from that you gain character you learn how to win when the, when your back is against the wall, you're down. You're down in, in greenfields, and you know there's things been. You're been abused right, left, and centre from the players and and the supporters. It's a great place to learn. It's my first senior game of rugby was in Tormund playing for UCC against Tormund, and I'll never forget it. I got the head pucked off me, and but you learned so much that day, and like I think where it needs to go to and I think it's getting there slowly is you need to see all academy players and anyone who is not selected in the in a provincial squad playing club rugby all those guys should be playing in a top division an elite division of which there's an unlimited number of players and if your club gets relegated you got to move you got to stay in the first if you're a professional or, or a senior academy player you need to be playing in a top-level club. You're playing against your future teammates week in, week out. Like, Quinny, you playing against Corks. We for, had it. And we had it. I, I remember going down to Cork Con and uh, Alton, Ian Murray, Corks, uh, Rog, yep. you know, and, and playing Temple, Temple Hill. So, you like, get the, you, the crap kicked out of you and vice versa when they come to Shannon, you know, we had that. But it's very hard to replicate that in a similar situation is, with the top internationals. Is, but, but there is an importance no, with the younger players to try and get out and play week after week. Like I saw Keenan Knox play for Young Munsters two years ago up in Cannes and he got absolutely hammered. And where, where, where Keenan Knox has come on 
from then is just phenomenal, you know, in terms of his scrummaging ability. And he'd all, he'd, all the strength and all the technical know-how, but he was up against, uh, you know, some fellow in Khan who was maybe laying bricks all day and he just turned them inside out. And Knox, you would have learned a huge amount from that day. So I'm not, not for a second saying that your top provincial players are, should be playing club rugby. Those days are gone, in my opinion. But you need to have, um, you need to have guys week in, week out. And you, you've spoken about it already, that Wasps game. It was fantastic to see, you know, guys who played club rugby, guys who played, three fellas who played with NS under-19s going over and beating a load of professionals over in the UK. It's brilliant. It's there. But it's the heart and soul of Munster rugby. Okay. You balance that. You balance that, um, you know, uh, sense of community and heart and soul from the club game with the professional coaching and professional development that guys are getting week in, week out on a daily basis with Munster. And you've got a real... And then, as I spoke about already, you bring in your sprinkling of stardust from abroad, your two or three guys who are going to make a massive difference. And you've he's, got a he's, really he's speaking like a future CEO, isn't he, Neil? <laughs> I, I think, for probably my last kind of big enough question in terms of this is that if we if we had you know young lads listening to this or parents of of kids that are are breaking into to try and break into professional rugby from the outset and, and you might correct me if I'm wrong but you for me epitomize the word resilience in terms of everything that you've done and, and what you've done in your career because you came into a setup that was stacked with international second rows and you had to bide your time and I read an article there about ages ago when you were yeah, he was a good back row as well, Nave. He was trying know, to take, know, take my know. position at times and clipping <laughs> me in training, weren't you, Billy? You were like, yourself. I, mean, uh, it, didn't, it, didn't, I didn't play hard enough. It, you were nearly 30 when, when you got your 100 caps for Munster. And then literally, it was almost like, you talked about luck earlier on, but it was timing luck, but also your resilience to stay in it. That between that 30 and the time that you retired, you amassed another 150 caps or whatever it is. So it... I suppose if you're going to give a message to an academy player or a young secondary school player that might listen to this and say, okay, I really want to play for Munster and you had to go the hard road and you definitely had plenty of knocks before you had, you know, your, your, your good days in terms of your international caps and, and, and being a stalwart of Munster rugby, I suppose what would be your biggest part of advice that you give to them? I just, I was so determined to live my dream, which was to play for Munster. And firstly, you get in there and you're, you're happy to be there. And then you want to play. And then you get a few games and you want more and you want success. And then, you know, there's one or two injuries and you kind of get in there and you stay in there and you're stubborn about it. And you, you just, you, you need to have an incredible level of determination and stubbornness at times to be, to get, to get there. Um, I could have left in my mid twenties, but I'm I'm very grateful that I didn't. Um, yeah, there's times when you're pulling your hair out and you get very frustrated. But when I got there, it meant the world to me because I had to work so so hard to get there. You know, I it, it was easy for me to go to the weekend and leave my heart in the field and give a hundred percent. You know, that was it was I I took pride in doing that. So my advice to anyone who's up and coming or a young player. First, you got to enjoy what you do. You know, you got to you got to enjoy your rugby. You got to enjoy the process. You got to enjoy the challenge of trying to become a professional rugby player. And for a lot of guys, 
they actually go abroad for a year or two and then come back. There's no one fit for it, but you, you know, you got to have, you can have all the plans in the world, but they won't always work out. In fact, more often than not that they won't, you're going to get setbacks and with rugby and with life. So there's no one real uh, bit of advice I would give, except for the fact that if you're not enjoying it, if you're not enjoying playing rugby, if you're not enjoying getting up early in the morning to go to the gym, if you're not enjoying looking after your diet or getting better as a professional, well, then it's not for you because, you know, you could have an indeterminate amount of time before you'll actually get there. And then when you get there, it's always more. When I got there, I wanted to win. You know, that's what drove me when I got into the team is that I was so determined to emulate you know, Queenie and these lads in, in lifting trophies. What were the big What were the big high points for you? Um, I I look back and I was I was having a look at at uh, some of the games you would have played. Like that that Toman Park New Zealand game must have been special. Australia, uh, your the cap you got for for Ireland. Um, the disappointments, yeah. obviously, are the semi-finals and finals you would have lost, but they must have been incredible days. That that All Blacks game, people will talk about that forevermore, and Australia as well. Yeah, I remember that All Blacks game, right? And you all came back from uh, Irish camp afterwards, and you were like, "Fuck, did you lost? What? What? what are you, what's, what's the buzz about, lads?" <laughs> <laughs> you were all just bitter and jealous that you didn't. Well, get we, were, we were we were beaten, we were beaten twenty-two three on the Saturday, and we came down the Tuesday night because. Uh, and uh, yeah, you, you you nearly did it. It was incredible. Like it was just, it was just, it was just so yeah. surreal. The whole atmosphere and the the occasion was just incredible. I actually watched that match back um, only a few months ago for the first time ever. I was I was heartbroken by losing that game. Um, I probably didn't realize at the time how big an occasion it was, but it was. Uh, you know, it was actually when Albie Matheson joined Munster and we went back looking at, we were both, we both played against each other that day and we, uh, we watched the match back and, you know, you're 60 seconds away from, you know, beating the All Blacks in Thorn Park, but it didn't happen. And that's, as professional rugby, you don't um, often get plaudits for losing a game, but that was a, a phenomenal occasion. I suppose the game that, if I pick out one single game that I'm most proud of, it was the, uh, the Axel game, as is now known, in, in Thorman Park, where we where we beat Glasgow, and you know it's it was you know such a horrific week. You know we'd been over in, in Paris on the previous Saturday, and we we buried Axel on the Friday, and to we to go from from his funeral to do a captain's run in Thorman Park. It was just you feel no all week. You don't feel oh, yeah. anything, and the senior players group that week, we had to make a decision earlier in the week, you know, do you play? Are you going to just not play? And, you know, you're considering, there's so many things to consider. If you don't play, you know, what are people going to think of you? You're going to lose the points. Um, and then it's really cliche, what would Axel have wanted you to do? And the one thing Axel wouldn't want you to have done is go out and fucking lose. <laughs> so... <Yeah. laughs> It's all well and good people saying, "Oh, Axel, I want you to have played." But like, if you've gone out, but he would have. He would have. If you'd have been even more pissed off, you've gone out and lost. So there was a savage amount of pressure with no preparation. And um, what we did that day, um, I'm incredibly proud of everyone in Munster for that day because it was look. I think you could have taken Joe Soap or even yourself from the stand, Quinny, and you would have done a job that day and the head off the Glasgow fellas. But it was, um, I think for me, that really showed our resilience as a group. And 
after that, and people don't really talk about this, um, that just had such an effect on our squad. It built up such resilience that we went, I think we went the rest of the season, we lost one more game that yeah. season. We had a phenomenal year. And that was like... Axel was trying to get something into our minds for months and years, actually, trying to get us to change something. And it's such it's such a shame that it only really happened when he died. And it was, it was like the pressure had been lifted off us. And, you know, when we won that game against Glasgow, I think we were a different team after that. We saw how how great we could be. And this is what Axel could have, was able to see for years. We just couldn't see it. It was pressure that we talked about earlier was on us. And, you know, as he said, like for anyone who hasn't read Earl, Keith Earl's book, it's the best book you'll read. It's phenomenal. Yes. Um, it's phenomenal. Um, but he, he speaks in it about how you just realize it's only a game of rugby and you can, the shackles are off. And, you know, I think that was a great sign of that season. But, um, but I, I, I like that. That was Axel Billy because I went back. Yeah, I played with Axel under twenties, and yeah. I got to know him. And he was the kind of fellow who just shrugged the shoulders. And his attitude was, "You just turn up and do your job." It sounds very yeah. simple. Know and your when job. You, when, your when job. You, yeah, when you were saying there, this is what he was trying to get into her head. When 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 Axel turned up for the job, there was a focus and there was a. Uh, a kind of a determination that you go out and you do the job and that's what the way he was as a player it was tough for him in because he was coaching that transitional period he got his kind of dream job um, got criticism I was one of the ones who criticised the team in, in, in 2000 that's that Francais game um, mm. but I keep saying to people you know Munster you played Ulster the week before if he lost that game to Munster, it would have been the worst run of losses for 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 Munster in history. Which is that's I don't that, there's no real relevance to that. But I remember being in Belfast the week before. He played a strong Ulster side up there. You played, um, and it was an incredibly passionate, determined, uh, full of pride performance where he beat Ulster. And I remember being on Sky and saying. That's monster for me. It isn't about necessarily having a right to go out and win matches every week. It's kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve, being incredibly proud to put on the jersey, being a custodian of the jersey. And then the week after, I think the standard kind of just dropped. And yeah. you know, I, I, I would have been I, in a situation I, there where I had a rant about it. And like I spoke to Axel the week after and it was incredible. Like he just said to me, look, I don't have a problem. It's just... Uh, there's different sorts of pressures, there's different challenges we have. And my rant was more at Munster that he needs to get more support. The team needs more resources. They need to, to improve more. And um, But Axel was just that kind of fellow who was just like shrugged his shoulders and said, do your job, know your job, which is, and you know, it, it was an incredibly, incredible time for you guys having to go out and play that game. It was just just so surreal, the whole thing. Yeah, look, it was it was a really difficult period for for Munster. Um, that, that game up in Ravenhill, you speak about. I, I take huge pride in that as well. It was um, I had broken my ankle playing for Merging Ireland that summer. So it was my first game back, and you know I hadn't been able to get into the team. Mark Chisholm had been signed, and you know he'd been signed to you know wear that number five jersey was an impossible task of taking over from Paulie, and you know we'd been struggling, and that. 
the thing is with that group there was glimpses of it but it just wasn't consistent enough we didn't have that strength and depth you talk about we didn't have the confidence you know Axel was under pressure he was getting unjust um, criticism from supporters and justified criticism towards the club we we were just all over the shop but it was only six months later well nine months later that, that Glasgow game and that season happened so it was there it was building but the expectation was there that we were just going to win, that we were going to win trophies. And it was, it was impossible. You know, the, looking back on it and the bodies you had there, the experience that was there, you know, some of the signings that came in back then just weren't what of Munster standard. You know, you're bringing in fellas now who are World Cup winners. You were bringing fellas back in your day who were World Cup winners. So you got it. It was just, it was a crossroads. And, there was uh, some, yeah, there was some stuff there. It was, the signings top, it was a tough time Munster, but, you know, you also had guys like Peter Romani was captain. He was the only young fella. Like, it was a really difficult thing. And, and, and we got out of that hole and we, we grew as a team. We just didn't, we, that group hasn't gotten over that last hurdle yet. But it will get there. And that group has gone through so much together. And there's been a huge amount of resilience built up in that squad. But we're just, we, they are, they're going to get there. They're going to get there soon. And I think, you know, as I said already, we just need to keep a coaching group in place for more than more than a few years to, to make that happen. Agree. Yeah, definitely. We have, um, Neve and myself have been picking, uh, we have this piece where we call, uh, are you watching Andy Farrell picking monster players in the last, the last number of weeks? Just players who maybe are, pushing to get into the Irish squad and potential guys who can play for Ireland. Neve, you can go through with Billy, who we've picked. Uh, who have you picked so far? Uh, well, we've had a kind of an array, mostly forwards, to be fair. Jack O'Donoghue, uh, Gavin Coombs, John um, Hodnett. Yeah. So, Scott Buckley. You pick Scott Buckley. I, yeah, I think he's going to be good. If you, so, if you were to pick one, Billy, um, someone who you think can go on and play for Ireland and be a real mainstay for Munster, and grab the attention of Andy Farrell in the next short, medium to long, short term or long term, whatever way you want to look at it. I'll go medium term and I'll say without a shadow of a doubt, Thomas O'Hearn. Um, yes, a good Waterford boy. She's delighted now, Billy. She's delighted. It's more Waterford people coming I, I through. I think in the short term, and he's not one for the future, I think Jack O'Donoghue, who has been outstanding for months of the season, he's playing... I keep texting him saying that's the best I've ever seen you play and it's kind of really beginning to grate on me that every week <laughs> he's just stopped reading the text where he's playing some fantastic rugby yeah, um, for months at the moment. I'd love, look, the back row for Ireland is phenomenal at the moment. Yeah. I'd love to see that get an opportunity. It's difficult to complain about anybody who's in the Irish squad at the moment because they're doing, they're, they're playing incredible rugby and um, yeah. they're doing so well. I think Thomas O'Hearn, um, he has it all. He is incredibly athletic. He's strong. He, for more important, more importantly, he's so coachable. He has a desire to learn. He's a desire to get better. Um, you know, even since I've less left, you know, he'll text me or call me, ask me a few line of questions. He he wants to know things. He wants to get better, and he wants to grow. And you know, he's got the basics of the, the physical acu- acumen. He, he's Brilliant! He's made. He's you know he's 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 got that, 
and the rest of his game is developing at a rate of knots. And I will, you, you'll see him being a mainstay for Munster and Ireland. Um, not going to put a time frame on it. It doesn't matter. He is, he's outstanding. I love it. I love it. Start, considering that he started off at fullback, um, his development yeah, has been, been huge uh, over the last few years. I've never seen it, but apparently the, the scrum half used to pull up a box kick, kick and Thomas used to just run along and, you know, he's six foot ten, he'd just stand there like that and catch the ball <laughs> over his hand. And, you know, the little wingers who were jumping up around him to try and take the ball and uh, <laughs> he's, got great, he's got great natural skills and, um, yeah, a good local man. Love if you, if you were Billy, if you were, we could, we'd love to stay chatting all day, but we can't, unfortunately, because you have to go back to work. Go back to work. Just t- t- tell us about the job quickly, and and I'm going to finish it. What kind of message would you say to the monster fans then? So, just tell us what you're doing at the moment. What's your day like? And I know your 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 dad, who's a a, a great friend of mine, and he was my monster manager. Uh, in in from for many years, one great story. I think I've shared this one with you before. Uh, in 1997, when I started uh, uh, with with Monster, um, we got our first contracts, part time contracts. And Johnny Lacey, who's uh, the former international referee from Tip as well, Johnny had a company car, and Johnny was driving up and down to Cork for the training. And uh, I had no car, so I was in the car with Johnny all the time. But uh, I was putting in for expenses for going to Cork as well. Well, Johnny was putting in legitimate expenses with your dad. And then it, he, he called me one day and he said, here, uh, what's the story? Um, you have expenses in there for the last two or three months uh, for driving mileage to Cork for training. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah. He said, um, there's only one small problem, he said, Quinny. Uh, and I said, what's that, Jerry? And he said, uh, you don't actually have a car, Quinny. Uh, and I kind of was scratching my head saying, well, yeah, I suppose, Jerry, you're right. But anyway, he said, listen, we say not to, we'll, keep the, we'll give you the expenses anyway. You're only on a, a small few, Bob. But <laughs> your dad was just a legend. He was brilliant with us because he put the fear of God in us. And then he was one of the lads, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. If there was any sort of messing on away trips or anything, the call had begun. I was like the school principal. Hall is coming, Hall is coming. Uh, and... Uh, he just, uh, he was just great crack. He was just brilliant crack. But you're working with your dad now, so you're working with, does he put the fear of God on you? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, think you I think you got that all out of him all those years ago. I think he, he used up all of that uh, on you over the years. Um, no, I'm inside in uh, EBS uh, selling mortgages. Um in Cork and it's great you know I'm getting out meeting people and it's it's really exciting I spent a good few months just learning the ropes and because you didn't want to be the uh, the rugby fella who was coming into the home and didn't have a clue what you're talking about so I take pride in helping people who are setting off on their mortgage journey and it's really exciting you're meeting loads of young couples and helping them on what's a what isn't the most straightforward journey in the world but it's it's great and you know I'm once again, learning learning the ropes from from the old fella. Um, so it's great. Um, I'm enjoying it. Mr. Rugby, obviously, but um, this is uh, you know, it's 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 good. I'm I'm enjoying it. Um, message for monster supporters was that the other question? Yeah, I think, and that's Neve and I were talking about this. You know, it's 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 trying to have a realistic expectation, as that you were talking about. And Neve, you probably want to come in on this. You're a coach as well. You know what, what? What? What kind of expectations and pressures um, and realistic expectation do we do we think we should have for Munster? Yeah, I think 
it's I think this season um, I think it's kind of been a slow burn it's been a real funny season I think it's been a slow burn of a season I have great hopes for something special happening this season it's kind of been strange and maybe I just feel like that because I haven't been involved and I feel close but a million miles away at the same time but I think you're going to get guys coming back from the Six Nations and a great run of form. You're going to get, hopefully, the likes of R.G. Snyman back, Damon D'Alende, you know, hopefully having um, a few big performances. And, you know, it's a real tight group, that coach group that's there at the moment. They're they're an excellent, excellent group. The four of them, they're, they're brilliant. And I hope and I'd like to think that they're going to tap, tap, and tap into the... Um, Finality and the the kind of end of end of a I suppose an era of this yeah. season and this group ending and they'll tap into something next year. It's going to be like it's going to be difficult to win something next season, in my opinion, because you're going to have a new coach, you're going to have a new philosophy, new way of playing the game. It takes time. It takes about eighteen months, in my opinion, to bed in a new coach and new coaching setups and structures, and even if the terminology changes, like learning a new language. It is difficult, and that is why I think with the group of guys that's there at the moment this season, I think um, you know the, the likes of Pete and Dave Kilcoyne and Murr, they all have another good few seasons left in them. They will build into this coach's new coach's way, of, new way of playing. But I think they're in their prime, and I would, I would, I would urge supporters to give everything to this season and to really get behind the team this year and just. Forget about anything that's been negative. Just looking back the team and just really, really believe in them this season and get out there, get to games, wear your red and just shout your heads off and be glad that COVID is out the gap for a short while. And then, and then next season, deal with that. It's a new beginning. It's a new start again. But that's the guys. I know the guys and they're, they're so focused. They're so focused on getting silverware this season. And they're they're in a good place. They're kind of you know they're they're in their top ranked team or top third ranked team in Europe. Um, great position there, and kind of been in the long grass a little bit in the domestic in the URC, and that's a good place to be. Sometimes we've been out top for the season, and you just come on stock at the end. You know, no, you, no trophies are won at this time of the year. Yeah. So I think we're building nicely. Love it. I love that, Billy. Yeah, Billy, cheers. Uh, thank you for that. Um, that's episode 21 of the Red 78, done and dusted. So make sure you get your podcast straight to your phone every week. Just search for the Red 78 wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to get in touch uh, with your thoughts on the game this weekend. Munster played Dragons. It's a pretty busy period, Billy. Nine nine games on the bounce now starting on Saturday. Um, so uh, that kind of message you're saying is for people to get behind Munster. It's really important in this next period of time, because this is where they can make a drive. There's no guarantees that, um, and as I've said this all always, Munster have no divine right to win trophies, but um, hopefully they can put themselves in a position to try and uh, be contending for Europe and for the URC as well and uh, and, and give it their all between now and the rest of the season. Uh, Neve, thanks uh, so much Um to you probably it was more me asking more questions from, from Billy because I'm just intrigued by his calmness um, as a player when I was there even as a young fella and his uh, 
pride in putting on that jersey and obviously that resilience that you spoke about, Nave. It, 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 there is a great message in that, Billy, and I'm not not patronising you. I think to, to to be there for 14 years is an incredible achievement in a, in a really tough environment because it's not easy to be a professional player um, in any club or in any, in any sport. There's sacrifices, uh, pressures week after week. Uh, you've got to try and manage that with your family and your friends and everything, your your personal life. So Neve is making a brilliant point about that resilience piece that, and what you've achieved, Billy. So a big thank you for joining us. Um, I'm sure people will really enjoy listening to, to what you have to say about your own career and and Munster going forward. So uh, thank you so much for that, Billy. And thank you, Neve, as well. She's a breathing smile on her face, Billy, because you mentioned another Watford man, Thomas Ahern. <laughs> so that's it for this week. Uh, get in touch with some tweets directly to Neve or myself, and we'll talk to you next week. The Munster Rugby Podcast. Red 78 with Alan Quinnan and Neve Briggs. Nobody knows Munster Rugby better.